Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. What a great day, week, summer, year, best day ever. I am literally feeling energy strong right now. I don't know why. Every day I put on my little necklace that says live your dream and then I go after it because every day is a chance to live your dream. And I'm going to head straight into our episode today because Lara American is a dream maker and a dream liver. Um, I have so much love and respect for this woman from the minute I met her at VeloSwap in 2003 in Denver. She was slinging energy bites in plastic baggies. I just knew Lara was special and she was onto something. I had a feeling she was going to shake things up and maybe change the world. I just didn't realize how much she would change it and how quickly. So if you haven't guessed, Lara American is the founder of Lara Bar. And if you're not familiar with Lara Bar, I'd be totally shocked because it is now an absolute empire. It's everywhere. You see it in pretty much every grocery store and drugstore and more. Um, so here's the thing. Laura really just started with an idea. She was on a hike and she had an idea to create healthy, nutritious energy bars when she was frustrated with her options many, many years ago. And as we know, all great products start when you create something that doesn't exist. And her goal was to just use clean, simple ingredients and make bars that tasted good. It's like so basic, right? So she started dreaming up flavors and then mixing dried fruits and nuts in her kitchen. You're going to hear about all this today. Um, And that was almost 20 years ago, 2000, right? Today, Lara is basically like a free agent because she sold Lara Bar to General Mills a mere five years after after she officially launched the company, five years later. And if you Google it, you'll see, I mean, her revenue was almost 20 million or right around there when she sold the company. Hers, it's just such a massive success story on the business front. But it's what you do after that, that many people don't think about. They just automatically are like, oh, she's got it made, just whatever. She's life of the rich and famous now, like living a life of leisure. But she's just still a real person, you know, and she... She had to redefine herself after the company with her own name was no longer her company. And yes, she made the decision to do this, but it doesn't mean that the process afterwards was easy. Um, And we talk about all of that and so much more in today's episode. It's really a fun conversation because I hadn't seen her in person for so long. Before I roll into it, I want to share the love from another women's success story brand. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. So 
I officially debuted skirt sports at the 2004 Ironman Wisconsin. And what I rarely mention is that I was sponsored by Lara Bar at the time. See, my big claim to fame that you've never heard about is that I'm the only athlete Lara Bar ever sponsored. I'm not kidding. Um, and it was very hilarious. I'm pretty sure we get a little bit more into the details on what I did for them back then. I was trying to do anything I could. I just loved what she was about. But anyway, in my special needs bag on the bike at Ironman Wisconsin, I had two food items. I had a 50 cent oatmeal cream pie, the ones you'd buy at the gas station on the 50 cent rack. And I had a cashew cookie Lara bar and I ate them both and I won the race. So I say there's magic in those bars. <laughs> Forget about the oatmeal cream pies. I don't even know if those exist anymore, but Lara Bar surely does. So while Skirt Sports was launched with the goal of covering my butt on the run, we continue to thrive today with a much broader goal of helping women find happiness in their bodies. That's what we really do at Skirt Sports. Lara helps people find happiness within their bodies. <laughs> it's like the same goal. Anyway. Um, let's do this. If you're interested in trying skirt sports, use the code run 20 on skirtsports.com for 20% off any of our amazing styles. Definitely check out our new active swim line. I received this note on Facebook message from a customer the other day. She's actually a skirt ambassador. She was amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, and it gave me the boost I needed that moment to know that I'm doing something right. She said, Nicole, I can't thank you enough for making swimsuits for all shapes and sizes of women. I used to swim a lot when I was younger and thinner, but as the years went on and I put on a few extra pounds, I became very self-conscious of how I look in a suit. I bought the tankini and swim skirt and hit the pool for the first time in over 10 years. I felt strong, beautiful, and confident. Thank you for helping me reignite my love of swimming and the confidence booster. I love it. Just like, just makes me happy. So that's it. Let's use code RUN20. You got to get yourself some of this confidence too. Um, And just try on some new products. Try some new things that are going to make you smile, if nothing else. Okay. All right. That's it. That's it for the intro. Now it's time. Dun, 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 dun. Let's get Laura Merrikin on the show. So, Laura, how cool is this? You drove all the way from the big bad city down to the Boulder <laughs> the <whole> Bubble. 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, how long has it been since I've seen you? I think we haven't seen each other for about 10 years, maybe a decade since we both had kids. Oh, my gosh. And how old's Oliver now? He's 10. He just turned 10. That's like not possible. This past month. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's, it seems impossible. It is impossible. Because like, how old is Wilder? She's seven. She's in first yes. grade, like full yeah. days. I know. Hello. Hi. It's so Hi. good to see you. Lara 2.0. <laughs> and Nicole 2.0. I know. This is so awesome. So I was, I've been wanting to get you on the podcast forever. I've actually been also doing this podcast for three years. If you can That's believe amazing. That. It's amazing. And I love it or else I wouldn't still be doing it. And I was thinking about like, what are all the things I want to cover with Laura? Because we're going to have like an hour and we got to like, we got to cram it all in. But all I could keep coming back to were the stories. 
And I keep kind of wanting to start from the beginning, but our beginning is when I met you. Yes. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember when I first stumbled upon you? I met you at VeloSwap yes. in Denver in 2002. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, so this is my memory. I'm there to like, I don't know, look for stuff. I think Tim might have been selling stuff at a booth. And I was like, hey, maybe there'll be some cool companies and whatever. I was just sort of having an experience. I stumbled upon Lara Bar at just like a table and you were handing out these samples in tiny little Ziploc bags, like the little baby Ziploc bags. Yes. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> and it wasn't even called Lara Bar yet. What was then. it called? I was going to name it Mana Bar. That's right. And then at the 11th hour, which we launched the following year, realized that we were going to have a conflict, a trademark conflict, and decided to change the name last minute. And it just somebody suggested Lara Bar, which wasn't really what I wanted to do at all, but it just kind of worked. It just had a nice yeah. ring to it. Yeah. And that's what I settled on. But when I met you, so it wasn't in a package. It wasn't. Yeah. Uh-uh. No. It was just me giving out samples in little Ziploc bags. Oh, yeah. And I knew immediately. I took my first bite and I was like, I'm circling right back to this booth. I came back, I hung out with you, and I think your dad was there. He was, he was. And uh, I met uh, William, right? Because he goes by William. Um, Like, talked to you guys forever, and I was like, this is something. This This is different. I love it. It's resonating with my taste buds. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to be a part of this when it actually becomes something. How amazing is that? That you have that kind have had that kind of impact on people that you can touch them through their taste buds. It's pretty incredible. It is I incredible. mean, at that point, I had just been working on my idea and hoping that some people liked it, and I was test marketing, testing friends, you know, in their lunch hours, and just talking to people. But for I remember meeting you, and you know, you're an incredibly accomplished triathlete and pretty discerning and you you loved it and it was just it was so fun for me to see somebody I didn't know respond that way well and what's really interesting so most people listening know that I later went on to start a company maybe they're not putting together the fact that I hadn't started skirt sports yet I wasn't like an official entrepreneur yet you were one of the first people that I encountered who I got to experience a the startup process sort of with or along not alongside but like I I I watched it and I kind of forced my way <laughs> into like making you guys work with me a little bit which was super fun um but what's really cool is that a lot of people know of Lara Bar now and they just think of who you are today and so it's really fun when you can take people back to the very beginning right and when I met you you'd already had your idea so I think ideas are important to share like the idea moment because a lot of people have them and maybe they don't realize like how powerful that moment was and that maybe they could do something with it so maybe you can talk a little bit about why what happened well I I mean people that may have heard my story I was hiking in Buena Vista Colorado I was eating a trail mix, literally like a trail mix in a, in a baggie that you'd get in a, in a bulk food aisle. And the light bulb went off, just why hasn't somebody made something truly healthy, made of just fruit, nuts, and spices, but it tastes indulgent and delicious, like you really, really wanna be eating it. So my inspiration came from combing the kind of pie and cookie and dessert aisles of the grocery stores. Apple pie, cherry pie, one sitting here, banana bread. 
those types of flavors and then I would emulate those using fruit and nuts and I would blend blends I would make blends together in my Cuisinart and then I would give them to friends and they would give me feedback and I you know it was like at the time it's like two to nine ingredients nothing more added no extra sugar or anything like that it was like dates you know almonds cherry pie dates almonds and cherries you know cashew cookie just cashews and dates it was very very simple and clean food well yeah and you know this seems like common sense and i think a lot of the best ideas are the simplest and you've said Mm -hmm. simple like four times right there in the startup story right first of all it's like a simple moment like i'm eating something i'm not enjoying this experience it's not helping me with my hike experience today right it's probably not like as good in your digestive tract either i don't know maybe it was but you know i think about like those simple moments and how sometimes we discount them and i'm so grateful that you didn't Like, do you remember having a visceral feeling when you had that idea? Was it like in your gut, you were like, oh boy, this is gonna be something big. I remember feeling like that light bulb moment and thinking about, wouldn't it be fun to take something really simple, made of fruit and nuts and spices, but make it healthy, but it's indulgent and delicious. Like, you know, I was a junk food kid before you know, I got to that moment. I long before that, I, I loved indulging, and so I was trying to find the sweet spot between healthy and indulgent tasting. But you get what you want, right? Which is really healthy, but it's enjoyable to eat it. Right. And I remember that light bulb, and I remember the energy of running down the mountain and getting my journal out and writing ideas down and feeling like I needed to follow this idea. And I've had I had many other ideas before that, but I just. For whatever reason, there was an inertia in in my intuition behind that moment. Oh, wow. Okay. So wait, what were some of these other ideas? I don't know about this. Well, actually, (laughs) at the time, prior to this moment, I had a career in social, I was a social worker. I I left college, I worked with at-risk kids, but I became very passionate about natural foods just on my own. Um, You know, I played um, volleyball in college at University of Southern California. My coach had a very strict no sugar rule. That's when kind of the seed got planted for me to begin to eat healthier, realizing that actually eating healthier really did make a difference in how you felt. And so the seed got planted and I got very interested in how commonsensical that, I don't know if that's a word, but the common sense of natural foods (laughs) and what putting good things in your body actually meant. And I would read voraciously and study and I just thought, I want to do something in this field. I don't know what it looks like. So for a long time, I had kind of set my sights on doing something in that field. I just didn't know what it looked like. I just knew I was in the right arena, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think I think a lot of us stumble into the right thing by sometimes the wrong things happening that funnel us over there or you know, all kinds of different ways, right? Mm-hmm. But it's when you're open. You're not like actively pursuing an idea but you're just open right i could not agree more i was just talking to a friend about that in the last couple of months and i said when you're when you open yourself up not forcefully but you you just become open it does open with an intention i'm just open to whatever comes my way or and and watching and looking for things and signs that just kind of show you Um, And I guess I was just open at that time. I could not agree more because when you're open, things can come to you. You know, you see more things. 
Well, and there's a whole science around that because like being optimistic and being positive is about opening your body. When you're pessimistic and when you're negative, not just your body, but your whole aura, right? Your Mm -hmm. mindset. When you're negative, things close and they get narrower and you can't see what might actually have been there the whole time, which is so crazy. And I love that. I, you know, in my next life, I might have to be like a positivity researcher. <laughs> I love it. I love how you just describe being open because that's exactly how I think of it as like, you know, you're opening your arms and you're open and, and that's positive. So let's take a little like sidetrack for a minute. What are the things in your life then, now, whenever that have helped you to get to open? Like when maybe you've felt yourself closing or getting negative about something. What do you do? You know... When I get overwhelmed, um, it's usually because I'm overwhelmed that I'm getting negative. It's it's that I've maybe my expectation is too high, um, or I have too much going on, and I'm trying to tackle too much too quickly, or I'm just simply overloaded. Right? I that's when I notice my shift to being less open and more closed and kind of protective because I'm trying to. I'm almost in a in a responsive mode, almost defensive and responsive rather than like open and offensive. I mean, yes. I'm, you know, and so that's when I noticed those shifts really happen for me. And then to become open again, I have to be mindful of the fact that a I'm not, and then also, you know, b I'm I need to make a shift. And what does that look like? For me, I can't force that. I have to kind of honor my process. Sometimes overwhelm is just part of life and you have to work through those emotions and feelings and and start to look where, where can I make the adjustments? What do I need to do? Um, meditation and quiet time. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit. I found that I find meditation through a lot of different things. I mean, yes, I can sit and actually meditate but there's other times when i'm doing say playing tennis and it becomes almost meditative and and certain activities that i just kind of lose sense of i'm really in the flow i'm lose sense of like thinking and i'm just i'm just there um so just getting quiet and spending time with myself is one of those key resets you know and 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 i'll tell you it's it's a constant thing in my life. It's not like I'm just running around free all the time, you know, and open. There are times when I think, wow, what happened this week? What what am I what what do I need to shift and what what needs to happen? So, it's especially when you're a parent, you know, you know, your business owner, your parent, you're married, like you're a puppy a, parent. Yes, I'm a puppy parent right now. And that's you just explained before the interview there was a moment of overwhelm like a couple of days oh. ago. <laughs> Oh no, I was like, I decided I'm gonna, I was gonna potty train our puppy in, in like 30 days. And I just decided that's what was gonna happen. And you know, you have to get up in the middle of light at night. You, yeah. It's like having a right. newborn. And at the 30 day mark, I really kind of hit a wall. I was tired. And I just <laughs> thought if he doesn't get it, I'm just, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And then my husband was very sweet and said, maybe your expectations are a little bit high. And I thought, <laughs> He's right. And so I reset my expectations and now I'm fine. You so know, what'd you reset him to? You know, he just might not be potty trained in one month. Like he's going to be, <laughs> he's his own, you know, he's his own being and he's going to just, it, it's just, you know, I'm, I just need to let it go and just kind of roll with it Uh huh. instead of trying to control it. 
Okay, so yes, let's move into control. Oh my gosh. Well, this maybe we can kind of go back a little bit to the journey of um, Larabar in the early days. Mm-hmm. So since I knew you in those very early years, the first like two, three years of the business, um, I got to hear some really fun and interesting stories about like humongous hurdles, like manufacturing, like uh, this whole manufacturing facility is not going to work for us anymore kind of thing. Like now I have to find something else. And I would listen to this and this is before I was an entrepreneur. So you don't realize that you were helping me create my own like internal dialogue that anything was possible, that you could still make anything happen. You just had to find a solution. So I don't know. I'm just sharing that because maybe you can share a story or two about the early days and some of those hurdles that came up that you were like, oh my gosh, there's no way we're going to get around this. But you did. You know, the good news about being a first-time entrepreneur is that you don't know what you don't know. What drove me to start Larabar was my passion for natural foods and just wanting to see if I could do it. Really, I remember getting to that point of the day that I landed in the stores and thinking, wow, I was almost terrified. I was so excited it had taken us 15 hours to make 500 bars by hand because the equipment wasn't working. We didn't have half the equipment we needed. We just did it. Right, right. And it was a, a labor of love. And then we got in the store and I thought, oh no, you know, I was excited. And then simultaneously thrilled to be there. And then the, oh no, you know, the other flip side was, what if nobody likes this? <laughs> it, it was right. risky. Yeah, It was like putting yourself on the line. So I got through that. People loved the product, which was thrilling. But some of the challenges of starting up were so many of the unknowns. Yeah. You, you referenced manufacturing. That was my number one most challenging part to get to even the startup and even past mm-hmm. the startup in the first couple of years was it just it was just for whatever reason a very challenging thing you know when you're a new startup nobody's taking you that seriously you don't have the volume you're not really appealing to other businesses they're kind of slotting you in where they need to and and you have to prove yourself just like anything in life it's like you know you know you're a triathlete it's like you have to prove yourself not just once, but again and again and again. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like a reset button, and and you learn that through this process. It's like you're only as good as you are today. You've got to get up and do it all over and make it happen. So manufacturing was very very challenging, and we eventually yeah. landed on an incredible, um, you know, relationship with somebody actually not right near here. And but we had to work through five not so good relationships and but they bridged the gap really in the end you know and i think i even remember even prior to that it was like okay well we're just going to do it ourselves because we had to so it was like you know cuisinart type food processors and all that and then you didn't you buy that big used like food processor Uh that you had to like cart around in a trailer I carted it around in my old Land Cruiser <laughs> and on, on a um, on a pallet, and and they would forklift it into the back of my car. And one time it was too close to my window, and I hit a bump, and it shattered my back window because it just hit it enough. But I would I would move that mix, mixer all over. It was like, right off. It was like my security blanket. I I would think, okay, if anything, I can mix these concoctions together. I have a giant mixer. I can form them. I can roll them out with a rolling pin. But the mixing was. You know, yeah. to take big quantities in a small Cuisinart was really next to impossible. Well, yeah, you just keep blowing them up. Yeah. 
I mean, <laughs> I actually still have the original Cuisinart. Do and you I still really? use it at home. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so it's like you got through those hurdles, you know, and I want to share too, like I believed in the product so much and, um, I wanted to be sponsored by you. So I basically was like, please sponsor me. You have to sponsor me. I'm going to make it so you can't say no to sponsoring me. You'd never sponsored an athlete, right? At that time. I think you're the only person we ever sponsored <laughs> ever because this I just amazing. thought you're an, you're an amazing person. And I was like, if anybody could represent Lara Bart, Nicole could do it. Um, and, and I knew it was just the perfect oh, relationship. I just, I went into every sporting store, health food store, any place that I thought possibly might carry Lara Bar because part of the deal was if I opened accounts, you guys gave me a little commission. So I was basically a sales rep and an athlete. <laughs> and um, I loved it. It was amazing. I still remember submitting my, you know, like, here's my monthly <laughs> um, store opening, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and it was just so cool because that's the other reason I knew that the product was a win because everywhere I went, they wanted to carry it. How cool is that? It, wow. It's exciting. So it's exciting. exciting. But what's really fun, you guys can't see, but we're going to take a picture of this later is um, I have my, my, swimsuit that I wore when I won the 2004 Ironman wearing the first skirt. So here we have worlds, you know, converging. Um, and I have two sponsors on screen printed on my swimsuit. They are Tear, who was my swim and clothing company at the time. That ended up being a conflict because I started my own clothing company. Yeah. <laughs> and Laravar right below it. And it's so cool. So we got a little history there. Um, but I mean, I guess my point in sharing that is just, I don't even know what my point is. I have no idea what my point is. Well, <laughs> I think it was, it's just it like, was an exciting time. It, I that's mean, what it is. Okay, you know, thank you. <laughs> you. You were believing in my idea at the same time learning and then eventually cultivating your idea. So we yes. were really helping each other. Well, and it's what's so cool is that idea of being open. When I share the the epiphany run that I had when I thought of skirt sports, it was that I was open for another thing. I knew racing wouldn't be it. I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but I watched you and there was something about what you had done that was in the back of my mind too. Because when I ran home that day and started writing down pretty I want to make clothing that you feel good and look good wearing I still have my original idea sheet and I have like three or four points written down under that word and one of them is set it up like Lara Bar get a small team of investors people who care and believe in what you're doing isn't that cool that I love that you just shared that with me. It makes me so happy. I actually don't talk about that part of the yellow sheet very much where I wrote the ideas down because it it's not usually about like what was your financial like how do you set the fundraising up or whatever. It's always about like how'd you get the product off the ground. But I did write that down and I have always believed that surrounding yourself with a team and people who believe in you is really important and you were a big part of uh, me helping form that idea that doing it alone might be possible but it wouldn't be as fulfilling. I, I could not agree more because that energy that you get from other people, you know, I got energy from you, you got energy from me and, and even in ways that we haven't even discussed until we're sitting down talking to each other right now. But just to share that, it really builds the inertia of what you're doing. And it, it's, it's so much more special than doing it on your own because it's hard. Some days are really challenging. Other days are 
a breeze and amazing. Um, but there are times when, like you, you were asking me earlier about my hurdles of manufacturing, and there were times when I would just feel almost defeated, but clearly not because I'd keep going and I'd, I'd dig in and, you know, the grit that you have doing a race or whatever, and you just kind of put your nose down and you just keep going and you, you realize there is always a solution. It might not be exactly what you wanted, but there's always a way to make something work. You know, this kind of makes me think about intuition a little bit because I think that, you know, when we start something, maybe we feel pretty strong about our idea or our direction. But as we go, things start to chip away at us and make us question if we're still on the right track. And I've done that a lot throughout, you know, the many years that Skirt Sports has been around. I have no idea, you know, how your intuition has been challenged, but. I generally will hit times where um, I second guess myself a lot and I start to lean on other people to maybe make decisions. And then when I look back on it, I say, oh my gosh, I wish I had just gone with my gut because I feel like my gut doesn't generally steer me wrong. So I wonder how you feel about that if you've experienced something similar. I remember when things were really going quickly at Larbor, which was a great problem to have and we were growing and I would just there were times when you know customers would write in and they wanted the product to be this and that and the other and I'm trying I was just trying to make everybody happy to the point where I I started to just not be able to hear my intuition and not be able to listen to myself and then I got into that overwhelm mode not being open and one day I remember either went for a run or something like that, and I remember thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> I know my intention in starting this company was positive, and I know Lara Bar is a good product. I can't be everything to everybody. I can be the best I can at what I'm doing, and that's the, that's the best I can do, but I can't fulfill everybody's need. And I really had to kind of take a step back and do a reset with myself. And instead of letting all the the noise out there, because I was really open to feedback, but there's feedback and then there's just, sometimes you just have to say, okay, well that's just, we we can or can't do that, um, but this is who we are. So um, that, that really helped me just realize those overwhelmed times, I think we all learn the most from those times that are really challenging. Well, maybe we can dig a little bit into your athletic background too to see like, was some of that foundation formed back then? Like how did being, how, how was your background as an athlete? I mean, you played collegiate volleyball at USC. Like that's no small thing. And you've reinvented yourself a few times. Now you're like a freaking tennis rock star. You're like, you know, you're, you're doing all kinds of cool new things to push your body at different stages and ages, right? Yes. But um, I don't know, maybe tell us, talk a little bit about, growing up an athlete and what what lessons did you get from from those formative years i'd love to hear what you got to being an athlete <laughs> yourself it's still evolving it, it, is, it is it's interesting yeah. you know i um i grew up very athletic starting in fourth grade where my son is now at 10. i remember i signed up for to play volleyball basketball and soccer and i signed myself up my parents didn't have to do it for me and the minute I got on those courts with a ball, I was so happy. And 
you know, I played those sports all the way to through high school. I, it was just a talent I had, and then I ended up being a walk-on in the USC volleyball team, which was beyond my dreams. I was a good player, but I didn't, it, it really, I didn't think I was that good, but then I got the invitation and I thought, I have to do this. But athletics for me were just such an incredible outlet. I loved pushing my body to the max, especially in college. That's when it really became apparent, like how much can you push yourself? Not only physically, but mentally. When are you gonna break down? Where, where are your, you can push yourself so much farther than you thought. Anyway, that being said, you know, it was a really hard experience in college because I had a really tough coach and the team wasn't cohesive. So I learned a lot about what happens when people aren't supportive on the same team. And actually I took that lesson into my business. And I thought, you know, I wanna cultivate an environment where people feel they can take risks and it's not the end of the world if they don't, if they fail. And that you learn and you move on and you, you know, you keep going. And so that was one of the things that, that I really took from athletics. Fast forward, I kind of stopped. I, I stopped playing volleyball after college. I was really burned out. And then I would just like exercise and run and I did a couple of marathons and that was really fun. And then my business just took over and I barely had time to go for a run. I mean, runs were really my meditation and my working out stuff in my brain in the mornings, my stress. And so I just kind of moved away from competitive athletics for quite a while. And then three years ago, I started taking some tennis lessons randomly and, and I just, I clicked in and somebody asked me to play in a league and then all of a sudden, all that like competitive, you know, athleticism just clicked in and I have locked into that and just been going after it for three years and loving every minute and taking those lessons and going, tennis is such a mental sport, it's such a physical sport, it's, you know, I played singles, now I play doubles, I. And there's so much to learn. And as an adult, it's really fun to learn a completely new game. I mean, I it's it's related to volleyball some ways, right? Like you serve, okay, yeah. that's similar. But it's it's just completely opened my whole life up in a, a really great way. And it's fun to discover something new and to be challenged. Wow, I just love this too. Um, I recently, I actually have gotten into some new sports too in my mid to late 40s. Surfing. Awesome. <laughs> I love awesome. It. Everyone knows because I've been on uh, two surf retreats now. I've surfed twice uh, for a week each time. And I want to figure out how to include it in my life, which is not easy in Denver. No. Right? No. So that's, that's you know, to be determined still. But I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to Costa Rica again soon. We'll figure that out. But um, I also did a cross country ski race this year, which was also, you know, you might look at me and go, well, you're an endurance athlete, so cross country skiing might make sense, but it's still very foreign and you're definitely out of your comfort zone when I'm used to being on solid ground, not on two slippery things on solid ground, right? Yes. Um, but I did this ski race in Wisconsin. It's called the Berkey. And a friend of mine was there with me and she, you know, we were just talking about the race. I said, are you nervous? And she said, no, because I just love being a beginner. And I was like, oh, I had never thought of that before. I love being a beginner. She, she didn't even say that. She said, I'm really good at being a beginner. And I thought that is the coolest way to go about life because it, if that's what you love and you're good at, then you're gonna keep trying new things so that you can keep getting that beauty of what it means to be a beginner. 
Well, it's and humbling it to is be humbling. a beginner. Yeah. And you have to work that much harder because as adults, I think we get into this mode of being the experts. Like, oh, I went to school. I, I'm a professional in this area. I've worked all these years. I know all these things. And then suddenly you start over and you go, I don't know anything about this. In fact, I have to start from scratch all over again and figure out how to become yes. proficient in this and put in your 10,000 hours and you know, the 10,000 hour rule that you become pretty proficient after 10,000 hours of doing something. Have you read about that? No, you get a... I think Malcolm Gladwell, um, who wrote The Tipping Point, Yep, I'm pretty sure he's the one that coined that term, the 10,000 hour rule, that once you put 10,000 hours into something, you're pretty proficient at it. So if you think about the 10,000 hour rule, it's a lot of hours. You know, it's really interesting, like with triathlon, swim, bike, run, my run took about seven years to get solid so that in every race I was a good runner. I'll have to do the math on that. <gasps> I'm very curious to hear. That is so crazy. Okay, but wait, I, you know what's hitting me? You said the word you get humbled or you have to humble yourself. Ego, ego's a yeah. big deal. Like, I think it can be helpful and then it obviously can be harmful and like no one wants to like feel like they're projecting huge ego when they're <laughs> facing the world, right? Or like interacting with other people who they might care about. but. Um, when we talk about like beginning, so there's beginning businesses, there's beginning relationships, there's beginning motherhood. Oh my gosh, we're yes. about to get there. Um, beginning tennis, like, do, you know, how did your ego play into that? Did it, was that a big part of you being able to embrace it as letting go of that? Well, it goes and comes in waves. I mean, <laughs> I started my first year and, and, and um, my husband's like, are you ever gonna play the game? And I said, I'm not ready. My ego was like, I'm not gonna play this game until I feel proficient. But then somebody asked me to play a league and I thought, well, but you can't get proficient unless you play. I mean, you can sit and practice, but practice and playing, you know this, practice and performance are two different stories, especially when you get on the court in tennis. You know, you can practice and you're relaxed and all this, and then you get into a competition, like you asked your friend when you did the cross country race, are you nervous? All of a sudden your nerves come up, you're not hitting through the ball, you're, it, everything comes into play. And so those are two different stories. And to figure out how to blend those is a challenge. Even today, um, I've had waves of like, mentally I'm just, I'm not nervous and I'm performing well. And I've had three great seasons. I went from a beginner level 3-0 to four. I moved up in like three seasons. And I'm where I wanted to be, which was really fun to see myself accomplish it. And I wanna move up another level. And I met a fabulous tennis partner along the way, which is really fun. But yeah, the ego gets in the way. And when the ego is in the way, it stops you from doing what you want. And and I watch it happen to all these adults and everybody around us. But it's just, it's part of life is to kind of, how do you work through that? How well, do you work through that ego yeah. and just kind of put it into check, make it work for you, not not make it work against you. But you have to be willing to be humble. If you're gonna try new things, like you you have to be humble to try it. Otherwise, you'll never try anything. That's true. But you're also a competitive person. I and love it. And so am I. And yes. so are many of the people listening to this podcast. They have goals, they're out training right now while they're listening, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're competitive, so that ego is important a bit for that, for your ability to maybe like see how far you can push yourself. However, I don't know if um, expectation becomes one of the limiters or the things that starts to, I don't know, 
uh, change the tide emotionally or mentally for us, right? So like here you performed well. So in, in triathlon or racing, I remember always feeling as good as my last race. And yes. a lot of people listening are like that too. I PR'd, I have to PR again, I have to PR again. Well, you don't PR your whole life. Like you won't PR in every race you ever do. You will not PR sometimes. Right. You will not win all your tennis matches, right? <laughs> no, so, if you look at the pros, that's the yeah. same thing. It's You're right, you have to reset your expectations and you're only as good as your last race, but that doesn't necessarily define you, but sometimes you're still in that mental space, right? right. Like I did well on this day. I didn't do well on this day. Um, You know, how do you reset your emotional brain to understand and move forward in a positive manner that's productive? So are you a goal-driven person? Do you write down your goals? I do, I do. In fact, I used to read a column called Investors Business Daily. Do you remember this? I told you about I this years ago. Do you remember this? They used to run a column called Leaders in Success, and it was the 10, um, they identified 10 basic things that they felt like leaders and successful people really had and attributes. And one of them is how you think and being positive. Another one is writing down your dreams and goals. And that, I remember this one, they said it's scientifically proven that goals and dreams are 85% more apt to happen if you write them down. I think that's very interesting. What do you, what, what do you have written down right now? Are you willing to share? You know, it's funny. I haven't written anything down for a while and, and I need to sit down. And when I'm not clear, I don't write things down. But when I become clear, I write them down because it's more authentic. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I'm in the zone of wanting to sit down and write some things down. I guess my main thing is just being open. I'm in a mode of being open to new ideas and 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 new phases of my life. And so really, I just want to be open to new things yes. right now. Oh, boy. Okay, well, then let's, let's kind of flow through the Lara Bar story so we can get to what these new open things are. Because I do, I mean, we have to talk about what happened with Lara Bar. Like we hit on the beginning, how you got the thing going, you took an idea, you moved it, you built a team, you overcame challenges. And then it, you said like it was growing fast. That was actually a challenge. What happened? How fast? How fast from start to finish? And like, what was the finish? Was there a finish line? Well, I mean, the interesting thing is, is like in terms of goals, I just wanted to start the company. You know, it was like one thing at a time. And then it was like, well, let's see what we can do now. Kind of what was in front of me. And and then all these stores and people responded so positively and we kept growing and it was like, okay, let's start new flavors and a new line. And and then the big companies started calling me and it, it wasn't even a plan of mine. And the next thing you know, we put a deal together and General Mills bought my company in 2008. So that was a little over 10 years ago. And it wasn't was, a plan. It was only five five to six years after launch. Well, yeah, it was five years after launch, but really eight years after my inception of ideas. So it was really an eight-year cycle for me. And it's been a huge success for them. Um, I still am an advisor to them in the face of the brand. I do PR. And it's really gratifying for me to see the next phase of my business where it's something that they're really good at in this next huge growth spurt. And it's just still really positive. They love the brand. 
I, I love working with their company. The company is really positive. They have all these brands that have been around forever. And then they're looking towards the future. And I think that's that's a company that's evolving and that's a really positive thing. And in the meantime, I had a child. <laughs> so right. that, that enabled me to have a little more flexibility in my life and not you know just be head down entrepreneur all the time. Cause I was working, you know, when I was running Larbar, I was putting in a lot of hours every I week. Know. I mean, it's basically all I was doing. Yeah. So it's like a baby now yes. looking back because singular focus, your whole life revolves around it. Yes. Um, you lose your identity a little bit to it, or in your case, maybe a lot since your name is the business, right? Yes. I actually, I want to talk a little bit about this branding. I'm looking at a bunch of bars that we have sitting in front of us. Um, some of my, my very favorite is still Cashew Cookie. That's my all-time favorite. It's mine too. It's the original, one of the original five, I think. Yes. Original five. Um, but And I do love a lot of the new, not only flavors of the original bar, but Wilder Eats Lara Bar Kids. I am so happy you invented that because she's a picky kid, right? I love that she loves it. We just launched it a year ago, and it's <laughs> been a it. r- huge work in progress for many years to get oh, yeah. it appealing. A lot of kids love Larbar, they, we call it Larbar Core, the core line. Yeah, but kids also love other things, and they don't—they don't always want nuts and things. And and we were worked really hard to make it appealing to kids. So right. Well, I'm they thrilled. They want to see that there's like a sugar-coated marshmallow on it, right? <laughs> yeah. And and even though it tastes like there's a sugar-coated marshmallow, it's made from all natural ingredients. Like they have to get that first, right? <laughs> but um, I remember early on you. The name, the branding, the packaging was really super important. And I remember you saying to me, like, we spent a lot of money on this, like more than I thought we would. But I'm looking at it and I actually don't think it's changed. Has it changed? No, it hasn't changed at all. That is, I have, I don't even know any other brand that can say that. Almost every brand I know has gone through a rebrand at least like four times. I mean, it's insane. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure I'm wrong. But, and also remember the discussion about the umlaut. Yes. Like, why yes. did we put the umlaut? Well, I don't re- even remember why, but it's well, like so it, iconic now. It's iconic. Why? Talk well, about it helps it. the pronunciation and it visually is more interesting to look at. It's just like exotic. It's cool. I don't know. Well, it's classic. The, the packaging was done by a gentleman named Michael Schwab, who is actually a graphic yes. design artist. He's not a packaging designer. And oh. my family personally knows him. And so I contacted him knowing his design aesthetic would match what I had in mind. And, you know, he decided to tackle this project and put Larabar, the, you know, the logo and everything. And it just matched absolutely what my vision was in my head. And that's a gift to bring that to life visually. And it, it has a classic look to it like it's you know when you look at classic things in life it just it's just there it's kind of a forever authentic look to it and that's what i wanted and And yeah you you nailed nailed it it. yeah yes you all nailed it um okay so so we sorry a little sidetrack there and what other flavors do you love by the way what else you have going on here um well my all-time favorite cashew cookie and another one is cherry pie and that's just three ingredients, cherries, yes. almonds, and dates. And we found, I found a very special cherry to put in there. And in fact, the the grower told me that had we not started buying these cherries, it's a tart and sweetened cherry from the Midwest, they would have stopped growing them. 
that were the major consumer of this specific wow. cherry. It's like a very specific cherry. Oh my gosh, it's amazing too. Um, I had lemon, is it called lemon bar? Mm -hmm. I had lemon bar yesterday and Wilder goes, is that made from Meyer lemons? She's seven, by the way, but she must have learned about Meyer lemons. Is it? I don't know. It's a really good lemon pulp, I can assure <laughs> very you. Very good lemon pulp. That was one of the harder flavors to actually come up with that, because we couldn't yeah. find, you know, lemon isn't like, it, it. it's hard to find lemon and it's usually coming in the form of an organic extract, but it just never tasted right until we found this pulp, which we also use in the key lime by yes. bar in front of me. Uh -huh. And it just, it's the real thing. And so I was, it took about a year and a half to, to iron that one out in wow. terms of the flavor. A year and a half. I mean, that sounds like my world. We're working a year and a half ahead on everything. Um, you have other sub, not sub brands, but like other categories that have come up. The truffle? Yes. Oh my The God. Larbar truffles. They're just, they're, they're like little oh balls of just Heaven. all natural chocolate <laughs> and nuts. And we have the fruit and greens line and then we yes. have the Larbar kids. Yes. And there, you've tried some other ones that maybe are, didn't make it, or I think I had a granola once. Yeah, there was a granola bar, granola. At, at, um, you know, without any kind of grains in there. Uh, and, yeah. You know, we're always trying new things. Mm -hmm. That's that's the whole, you know this in, in totally. your business, people want new products from you. And so you're always looking at like, what do you think the consumer wants and and who are we as a brand and how do we kind of put those things together and some things work really well and some things don't right and it's that's always the crystal ball you mm -hmm. just don't know i mean you can do all the testing and focus grouping and everything you want but when it's either going to hit or not hit yeah and you know pretty immediately don't you yes oh i think you, i think you do and but as an entrepreneur i think you can be more patient um in in some senses because of the fact that you know you're in an environment and you can get the feedback and you're not looking for it to happen tomorrow but you can watch over months and and see okay was was that a good idea but you're right you do know pretty pretty quickly yeah and the problem is you might have a lot of inventory you need to get rid of <laughs> <laughs> That's in yes. our world, at least. Um, you guys have a shelf life, so you have to get rid of your inventory. <laughs> yes, no shelf, and that's a consideration. Like when, yeah. we, when I did the packaging, like I had to have a really good package because I needed to make sure the shelf life was good, oh and that we gosh. weren't, you know, that we had some time because once you get into distribution and all those things, like things take time. Yeah. You know, you make the product in, the, in, in on this date, and then by the time it gets to a store shelf, it can be you know, a couple of weeks. Right. And um, so you just want to make sure that you're smart about stuff like that. As yeah. you know, inventory. Yes. Thinking ahead. I know. Okay. So, so going back to like the tail end of the eight year mm -hmm. cycle. So you said you wanted to start a business. You didn't necessarily want at the beginning to sell a business, but it grew to a point where it sounds like that was an option for you. So like... As you were growing the business, at what point did you realize, or, or what was the deciding factor? Was it like, I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to grow this to the level it could get? Or you know, what, what got that wheel turning where you were like, it's time for me to move this company into the hands of someone else? You know, it wasn't any one thing specifically. It was more of, if the right company, if I felt like the right company came along, I know the next phase is is not as the much the entrepreneurial phase. It's a lot more big level stuff, and I was open to that. 
I was open just kind of like I was to starting Larabar. You know, somebody asked me the other day, did you have a specific plan? And I am a goal setter for sure. And I think about things I wanna get done, but I also allow myself a margin in there and, and a, a natural flow of things to let things, kind of an organic flow to let things kind of reveal themselves rather than forcing it because I always believe that forcing things just really never works out. Um, so I set my sights on something and then I kind of let it, let it evolve and happen. And I look at the cues and I pay attention and that's just kind of where I was at. And, um, and I knew that they would be good at the next phase and it, it felt like the right fit for the brand. Um, otherwise I wouldn't have sold it to them and they love this brand. It's, it's taught them a lot about marketing to consumers in a very authentic way because you know we we were out in the field and sampling as <laughs> where we started from this beginning Absolutely. of this conversation and talking to people about what we were doing and that's a real positive thing in a bigger company when you know a lot of it's based on advertising we had never even done that so yeah. it's been a, it's been a really great um, relationship and um, so it wasn't mm. really one thing in particular yeah it was I I can. I think people can just get a sense for your philosophy just by this whole conversation so far that there's a little give and a little take as you go through each step and it doesn't mean you're not competitive and you're not seeking you know to hit goals and do all kinds of cool things but you're also very in tune with like just being a human being in this great big world and the things that come flying at you you know, you've got to kind of either sideswipe them or embrace them or whatever. And I don't think everybody can do that. It's basically called flexibility. <laughs> well, it, I've learned it works for me because when I get too locked in to one way or this way or whatever it is, I find myself very limited and I'm better when I have some flexibility built in there. Like I said, I have the intention and like, and Say, for instance, I get on the tennis court. Of course I want good results. Of course I would like to win the match that I'm going to play. But some days it, it happens and some days it doesn't. Some days you're mentally there. Some days you're not. Some, You know, it, it's just life. And to allow yourself a little bit of room for myself, I found that I'm much happier and more balanced when I'm doing that. And... Um, that I'm then I then I am looking for the right path, but I'm not forcing it again. Yeah, I like that. So here you are. You sign a paper, you mm -hmm. know, whatever it is, and suddenly, eight for eight years, you were Lara, the entrepreneur, the founder of Lara Bar. It consumed you. It filled your life and more. And then from one day to the next, this is probably a huge exaggeration because I know it's not just one day to the next, but theoretically, you know, looking back, it might feel that way. Who, how did you sort of recover from, you know, changing your role within this company and uh, start to find new magic in your life in other ways? That was a process because I was so on that working treadmill of running 100 plus miles an hour all the time and just making, it was like a task list and making things happen and getting this done and making sure my email was not like at 100, hundreds of a day and just plowing through all these things that I had to do. I mean, I felt like I was on a treadmill 
And to get off of that was, it was a process. So you didn't just like jump off and the treadmill kept going. You slowed down. I, you know, it was hard for me for a while. Like I, I remember just feeling like, what am I gonna do? I, I mean, and then I realized, well, first of all, I've sold it to this company and I wanna help them make this successful. So now I have to kind of step aside, pass the baton, and I have to do what I can to support them to help them be successful because why, why would I not want them to be successful? So that worked pretty well um, in terms of you know we've we've had a longer term relationship than I anticipated, and they said we love working with you. You know you know would you like to work with us continue? And I said sure. And then I had Oliver, and I was a new mom, and then I had to tackle some new things because I started thinking well. I, I need some new things to do. So I went to culinary school. Well, we moved to California just because I'd always wanted, I have a half-life there. My family's partly from there and we moved there for a while. Um, I went to culinary school for a year. I did professional chef, professional baking. I'd always wanted to do that. I had a fabulous time. I started learning new things, challenging myself. And um, that was just kind of the start and I just, all these new things I just kept learning. Then I got into tennis, and, and obviously when you're parenting, that's not minor side parts. Correct. It's pretty major. <laughs> you know, there's a big adjustment yeah. in your life and, and learning, you know, all of the things that you need to do as a parent and trying to help nurture your child. So, but honestly, to get off that crazy treadmill of like, I need to be productive and I need to be at, at a maximum level all the time, it took me about seven years to get off that treadmill. Oh, that's like Admittedly. how long it took me to get good at running. Is that the 10,000 hour rule for Could you be. too? Oh, geez. Um, so so would you say you hit some emotional lows? Like did you experience like depression during that time? I would say that I had, yeah, I had lows where I, I had to kind of come to terms with just because I'm not producing at a high level doesn't mean I'm not a worthwhile human being. I started to recognize where I got my ego tied up in certain things I expected, but I wasn't even aware of it until I started stepping back. So I'm in culinary school, I'm like, I'm gonna be really good at cooking. You know, I mean, obviously I knew how to cook, but I wanted to really learn it from bottom up and have a great experience. And so then I started looking at things experientially. Laura, why don't you just get out of it the experience? Why does it have to be that you have to accomplish something every time? Like I started to start running through new stories in my life that yes, you can accomplish here, but sometimes you can just enjoy yourself there. Not everything has to be like climbing the mountain and conquering the mountain. Um, I didn't even know I was thinking like that, but I had to kind of step back and take inventory of all of that. And then you you know, you know become a parent and it becomes very humbling. So how long after you sold Lara Bar started to move into this gray area? We'll call it the gray zone, right? Well, probably immediately. Immediately. And then how long after that did you have Oliver? Uh, about 11 months later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah. not too far apart. You right, know, I went right. from one thing to another thinking, oh, parenting, no big deal. We all know parenting is no big deal. Yeah, oh, it's simple. It, it, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's one of probably one of the most challenging things you'll do in your life to raise yeah. another human being and to hope that they're going to be happy and well balanced in their life. It's yeah, it's not a minor sidebar. Well, and let's also note there's a husband involved too, right? Yes. So you and Bill, how long have you been married? Fourteen years. Okay, so you know you guys were married for 
what four four years or so and then yeah. it was like all right let's do this thing yeah um and it was a conscious decision to have you know have a kid yes yes and i remember because you had oliver around 40 am i right i was 40 when i got pregnant yeah, and yeah. i turned 41 a couple months after i had him yeah so i was not a young parent at all you know i was in the i'm on the higher end of right you know you're actually i'm not a young parent either i remember calling you when i was pregnant with wilder because i was 39 turned 40 right after i had her so same path right Mm -hmm. um and i was like laura people have been asking me for 15 years if i'm gonna have a kid at some point most people gave up but then as soon as i got pregnant they'd be like so are you gonna have more than one kid (laughs) i was saying that to you and you were like people are so well-intentioned but (laughs) it's just not the right question to ask right now (laughs) no i mean when you're 40 and having a child you're just happy you have a child and a healthy child and i was just very grateful about that and i just didn't need to set my sights on you know more i was kind of one step at a time and i was recovering from my business and kind of resituating my life and you know what are the next steps and opening myself up to just having a good time and and exploring like what did that feel like instead of just working even though work was fun it's still a different um outlet in your life you know you're still about production and you're running a company and you have to meet numbers and and make things happen and and it's a different mode well and you're adding new identities to yourself with each of these different phases and in your case you were kind of taking away part of your identity you know and boom moving right into a new one so like when oliver came first of all i've never really i don't remember if we talked about like did you love being pregnant like how was your pregnancy process and like i love hearing the birth stories even and all that fun (laughs) stuff like how how did it go for you generally it went well until i hit i think it was i think it was like the six or seven month mark when they make you drink the cola and they give you a a a diabetes test and i failed it and i got gestational diabetes not because i was eating poorly but because it runs in my family and i was shocked i mean it was really like it was really humbling first of all because i had to go to a nutrition they, they recommend I go to nutrition center and I got lectured about that. And I'm thinking I'm in the health food business. And that like, that's your whole identity is like, I'm promoting healthy living through this company. And you walked the walk, the right. talk, whatever. Yeah. But it made me realize, you know what? I'm human and this is just part of life. And I managed it with, you know, eating less carbs in a day. I mean, even blueberries, which are great for you, are carbs. And so I had to really, really manage that and poke my finger three times a day every time I ate. I mean, it was it was hard. It was the the last couple months were just emotionally hard that way. And then I was then I was, you know, tired and I had a newborn and I was convinced that I was gonna have it forever and I was fine. It turns out it just went away. It just came and then it went away. So that was really Wow. That kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. Wow. Yeah, that is, uh, that's a big wake up for sure. It is. It is. Um, and it's like almost like you feel embarrassed too. Like you don't want to yeah. tell anyone I have this thing because this is who I am. I'm a healthy person, right? Yes. Gosh. Yes. And so I did kind of drop that and just say, Laura, this is just, this is just what you have to do. Yeah. And so becoming a mom, like, 
what's your philosophy on how do you want to raise Oliver? Like, what kind of kid and person do you want him to be? You know, my husband and I talk about this a lot because he's 10 now and he's in fourth grade. And there's just a lot of pressure on everybody, not just um, kids today, but parents. And I think about how I grew up and my parents were working and I was kind of, I signed myself up for sports and nobody was attending to my every need all the time. My parents were working and, and I had a lot more freedom to like run around the neighborhood. I feel like this age of parenting is very different than how I grew up, which is we're so, I don't remember my parents going to birthday parties. I mean, how many birthday parties have you been to? Uh, like, I just stay for all of them. Yes, until finally somebody <laughs> says, you can drop your child off, and everybody goes, Phew. you know. I, and, and, you know, it's just a different age of parenting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like everybody feels like the stakes are higher. Anyway, that being said, they are. And you want your kid to be, everybody has different dreams. My, my dream for him is that he becomes his own person that he is passionate about things he chooses to do in his life and he's able to do those things and that he has opportunity for himself. And that's really what I want for him mm-hmm. is to be happy and passionate and vibrant about his life yeah. and excited about what's ahead of him. And whatever that looks like, I have no idea. He, I don't know if you know if he loves athletics. Like I love athletics and my husband does. My husband's an artist, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, Oliver loves to drum. Um, he he does play tennis, <laughs> and um, he plays lacrosse right now. He's kind of transitioning to baseball, but he's um, he likes sports, but I wouldn't say he loves them. But he's a voracious Lego builder and incredibly creative and really good with his hands. And so I'm just we're just trying to nurture the things that we see him gravitate towards because ultimately all of us want to be who we are really intrinsically don't we yeah to be able to express yourself as who you are is is to me like one of the greatest things in life and to be able to express those passions that's that's really where it's at so that's what i'm hoping for him so in the end is that what you're hoping for you (laughs) i'm trying to do that you know it life is a process of reinvention there's a part of me that loves the reinvention and then there's a part of me that in the middle of the reinvention i'm like wait a minute, wait a minute, what am I doing? And I question myself, I can get too mentally in my brain sometimes, and that's when I need to step back and be more open and just kind of say, all right, I'm open. I don't know what it looks like, I'm okay with that. Um, Sometimes it's easier said than done, but I love the process of reinvention and also challenging myself and rolling things I know into new things. Yeah, oh, this is so cool. Well, you know, we've been talking for an hour. I want to keep going, but we need to wrap it up because we have cool things to do. You're probably on to the next thing, which who knows what that's going to be, right? That's right. Um, but let's uh, let's leave our listeners with the final question I ask every guest who comes on the show, which is if you can um, give our listeners one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their world in a bigger and better way, what would it be? You know, just listen to your own self about what it is that you makes you tick, what you're excited about, what you're passionate about, and surround yourself with people that support that. That, to me, is one of the greatest things that we can all do for ourselves, is to be mindful of who we are and honor that, and then surround ourselves with people that can support us. I love it. All right, let's go eat some of these lar bars now. Sounds great.
Thanks, Nicole. <laughs> all right. I am back. And I will say, first of all, that I am feeling so grateful that I got to have some time with my old friend, Laura. After the interview, um, while she was still hanging out here, I pulled out a few Lara bars and offered them to her, which is really funny because don't you think she probably has her own Lara bars? Anyway, <laughs> I said, do you still eat a lot of Lara bars? And she she said, and I quote this, I always test them. And I loved hearing that because she cares about her brand. And she wants to know that everything that she put into this is still being upheld. Um, she wants to know they're fresh and they're delicious and they're spot on with the recipes. I love this about her. So I don't know. I've just, I've always respected Laura and really appreciated that she's such a genuine and again, in quotes, normal person, because what really is normal anyway. Um, but I think the trick for her is when a quote, normal person does something very extraordinary, not very usual, not very normal. How do you adapt and integrate your new normal into your life without compromising who you are. That's it. And so the really cool thing for her is, and for anyone, is that this can apply to any big life change. How do you retain your core essence, the beautiful things that make you who you are when you experience change? And you don't have to sell your business to General Mills to experience change. We all experience change a lot in, in ways big and small. And somehow Laura has navigated these waters with grace and self-love and is passing them down to her son as we speak. He's just got such a bright light about him. Um, if you haven't tried Laura Bars before, go do it now. Her original cashew cookie will always be my fave. Um, I saw literally today that they just released a new protein line, which I am now dying to try. There was some lemon blueberry one. Oh my God. All right, I think you've got it. It's time. We've been on long enough. You gotta get out to the grocery store. <laughs> and that's what time it is. It's time to get over to the grocery store and pick up some new Lara Bar flavors. No, really, it's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and I'll see you next week.